This past uh, Wednesday when we were had our gathering, Pastor Phil brought up a song that our the children sang last year in uh, Bible school. It's called Actions Match My Passion. And the, the words go something like this. You thought I was going to sing it, didn't you? <laughs> going to let my actions match, match my passion for what my God has done. He's given me salvation through his son. I believe in his authority and that he loves me so. I'll stand on his commands and let my actions match my passions. The reason I bring that up is because as we, we talked about last week, our theme through, for the year is gospel in life. That my actions match my passion. Gospel in life is a 24-7 demonstration of a life lived in obedience to the word of God. James 1 verse 22 says, be doers of the word. Uh, that's, a, that's a present imperative, which means present means continuous, imperative is a command. So habitually submit to the Word of God. If, if, as this year, as I go through this year, hopefully through the rest of your life, but if I'm going to put gospel in life, I'm going to habitually submit to obey the Word and proactively seek to live the Word. This brings back then to where I started. How can my actions match my passion? How can I passionately, if I passionately believe that the word of God is true, if I passionately believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, that I've repented from them and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if I truly believe that, how do I put that into action? Which brings us then uh, to where I want to go today, and that's the book of Colossians. Uh, It's a prison epistle, which simply means this. Paul wrote this letter when he was in prison in Rome. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and Second Timothy are the five books that are, are prison epistles. There is uh, similarities between particularly in Ephesians and Colossians. The book is 95 verses. If you read through Colossians chapter 4, first, uh, verse 16, it, it appears at least that they should be read altogether and possibly even aloud which I would encourage you, even this week, as we spend a few weeks in the book of Colossians, that you would, at least once a week, read through the book of Colossians in one setting, to read through, it, read through chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Epaphras and Philemon. The church, Paul had never been to Colossae, by the way. He never visited, he's not the one who started the church there. He was in Ephesus which was near, not, not like across the street, but it was near enough that you could travel. He was at Ephesus for three years. That was the longest ministry he had during his, mission, his missionary journeys was at Ephesus. Apparently, Epaphras and Philemon either came to Ephesus during that time or an evangelistic team possibly went to Colossae. Uh, but Epaphras and, and Philemon were laymen. And they got saved, and I mean, when they got saved, they really got saved. You talk about gospel and life, they, they took the gospel and they applied it to their life and everybody else they could come in contact with, and that's how the church at Colossae started. So we have, have the prison epistle, 95 verses, and Epaphras and Philemon. But there was a problem at, at uh, Colossae. Uh, it's called Gnosticism, or Gnostic. We, if we use the word Gnostic, it means to know. Agnostic means I don't know. Well, Gnosticism was the, was the aspect of I have some secret information. If you knew what I knew, 
or I have some secret information that I could, uh, I could share with you, uh, but then we both have that secret information. Uh, we joke around here at Faith Bible Church, when somebody joins a church, we're going to show you the, heat, the secret handshake. Well, we don't have a secret handshake. But the, but the, the Gnosticism is that idea of there's, a, there's this secret knowledge to really know. It was a combination of Jewish uh, legalism, Oriental mysticism, and Christianity. It took those three together and it jumbled it up. Today we'd call that pop theology. Whatever popped in your mind, that's what came out. And this was Gnosticism. This was a real issue that, was, that had uh, uh, intertwined itself in the Church of Colossae. Uh, it was probably an issue at many places. Uh, we'll see references t- in other books. We'll see references to it. But specifically, it's addressed even uh, specifically here at Colossae. And so the solution, uh, the, as you look at the theme of the book, it's the Christ is preeminent, or the preeminence of Christ. In chapter 1, uh, we see Christ's preeminence declared. Chapter 2, you see Christ's preeminence is defended. And again, as you read... This week, as you read through that, you'll kind of see that as it goes through that. And then chapters 3 and 4 is the Christ preeminence is demonstrated. And that's where we're going to spend the next few weeks is chapter 3 and 4. As we talk about gospel and life, how can my life demonstrate the preeminence of Christ? How can I live out the gospel uh, as emphasizing and, and focusing on the, the, uh, the Christ preeminence? Uh, so this is, this is the preeminence of Christ is demonstrated in chapter uh, 3 and 4. So how can my actions match my passions? These first four verses, how can that happen? First of all, by understanding my relationship with Christ. That's all we're going to look at today. We'll, we'll move down to chapter, or verse 5 next week. So how can my actions match my passions? Well, first of all, by understanding my relationship with Christ. If I, if I come to a greater understanding of my relationship with Christ, my actions will be able to match my passions. So I want to understand those things, and I think these verses help do that. Uh, a couple things to keep in mind in these first four verses. First of all, they, they serve as a transition. Uh, they're, they're transition from doctrine, which is real typical Pauline uh, writing. first two chapters are doctrine. He's transitioning from doctrine in chapters 1 and 2, what I believe, to chapters 3 and 4, duty, how I behave, how, how, how then do I put into practice what I believe to be true, how do I practice out my life. In other words, my actions match, match my passions. Verse 1 and 2, I'm risen with Christ. To understand my relation with Christ is, is, first of all, to understand I'm risen with Christ. Verse 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. I am risen with Christ. If I understand that I'm risen with Christ, first of all, the result is I have a new relationship. I'm 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 risen with Christ. Now, if you look back at chapter 2, he talks about being dead. You're, we are declared dead in our trespasses and sin, or we're dead, and, but not because we died in Christ. But that isn't the end of the story. For a Christian, that's just the beginning. So I'm risen with him. And this has brought me to a whole new relationship. Uh, when, you, uh, when you're introduced to someone else, when you're introduced to uh, someone new, uh, you may be able to get to kind of get to know them and visit, and, and you'll get started a relationship. 
And as, it, as your, that relationship matures, it becomes a little deeper, a little more uh, understanding and uh, uh, fellowship together. Well, this, I'm risen with Christ. I've, I, have, I have come to a, a whole new relationship. One author put it this way, this vital union has given me, given us, a new set of desires, a new purpose, a new perspective. There's two key prepositions that you're going to find in the book of Colossians and in many of Paul's epistles. They are in and with. And we're going to see the word with used consistently here. In, to be in Christ, or the, the preposition in, is to used to explain our union, our position. Uh, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. You and I have been complete in, because we are in Christ. We have a union with him. We are complete. No longer do I have to stand or depend upon myself. I'm in Christ. The second preposition is with. This, this is the believer's relationship. This is brought, because I'm in Christ, I've been brought to a whole new area of life experiences. A whole new relationship because I'm with Christ. With has the idea of a face-to-face relationship. We, we are, we are uh, uh, communicating together. Uh, as it says there in Amos, it says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? They're with each other. We are, we are in Christ. We are with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Therefore, if any, if, also means since, if you indeed if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. Because I'm in Christ, I've died, my experience now, because of my relationship with him, I have died to the things of the world. Because he died, and I'm in him. So with has to do with new experience. Does that make sense? You're following me that? In Christ. That's the union. With Christ is my identification, my relationship. So it says result is a new relationship because I am risen with Christ. Secondly, notice the result. New responsibility. Verse 1 and 2. It says, seek and set. A new responsibility. Seek those things which are above. That, has to, that word seek has to do with focus. If I take my glasses off, you are, I can kind of see outlines, I can see colors, but you're blurry. And, uh, this, 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 the, and when I put my glasses on, I can recognize people. And I can see you. I can see what I'm reading here. I bring things back into focus. What he's saying is, seek those things which are above. Hey, don't let your life get out of whack. Don't let your life get out of focus. So you're not seeking those things above. In chapter 3 here, if you go back or go down in chapter verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put your... Put on tender mercies. Hey, bring your life into focus. Put on tender mercies. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Long-suffering. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you you also you must do. Hey, bring things back into focus. If I understand my relationship with Christ, I'm risen with Christ, I have a new relationship, I have a new responsibility, I seek those things which are above. I, I bring those things into focus. The word set. 
And notice this, that seek those things which are above, set your mind on things which are above. To set has to do with concentrate. You are, you are not just focused, but you are focused in zero. I'm, I'm focused on the crowd, but if I focus and zero in on Pastor Phil, I'm looking at Pastor Phil, I'm concentrating on Pastor Phil. So my focus is a concentrated focus, and it has to do not just what I'm, think, uh, what I'm seeing here, but what am I thinking? You, you, you and I are to, to set our minds to think about those things that are going to that cause my actions to match my passion. Is let the word of God dwell in you richly. My, my, my concentration is on the word. I, th- I use this word think, phrone, in Philippians chapter 5 through 8. It says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What, what was the mind of Christ? As you follow through in that passage, it's humble obedience. Hey, if, if, I want, I, if I'm going to concentra- have a concentrated, especially setting my mind on things above, I want to be like Christ. I'm going to want to have his mind, his humble obedience. But also in Philippians 4.8, Finally, my brethren, whether, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, gracious, good report, what does he say? Frone, think on these things. I, I, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on those things which are above. To, to focus and to concentrate. If, as I understand in my relationship with Christ, I am risen with Christ, I have a new relationship, I have a new responsibility. The third thing we see in the, those verses is, uh, a, the result is a new resource. It, and it says they're sitting at the right hand of uh, God. There's two things that I want to call your attention to there. The word sitting. When God raised him from the dead, he came and sat down. Why was that? Because it was finished. God was absolutely, completely satisfied with this sinless substitute, satisfied God's righteous demands. So he came and he was sitting. It was finished. There's nothing to add to that. But not only was he sitting, but he's at the right hand. That's, that's a place of power, a place of honor. We have this incredible resource to draw upon. The power of Christ himself, because what, what he's, what, not just what he's done and who he is, but where he is. He's at the right hand of the Father. Often we go into crisis mode. We have an inclination to turn to anyone, everyone, in order to control our situation. And it's outcome until finally, out of desperation, we seek out Christ. We have this incredible resource to draw upon immediately, but usually we end up, that's the last place that we turn. They have this incredible resource. So, I am risen with Christ. With Christ. I have this face-to-face relationship with Christ. I am hidden with Christ. If you look at verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, there's, there's two things I want to point out there. There's a security and there's satisfaction. First of all, Security. I am hidden with Christ. I'm not hidden with Ken Davies. I'm not hidden with Charles Rasmussen. I'm not hidden with... Listen, I'm hidden with Christ. I have this face-to-face relationship with him, and he has me within his hands. That in Hebrews chapter, or John chapter 10, verse 27, says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. 
I give them eternal life, and they, shall not, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. When I was discipling a, a, a man, I, I said to him, I said, what does that mean to you? And he, he had already accepted Christ as personal Savior, and we were talking about eternal security, and uh, that, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. In other words, your assurance of salvation. He said, well, that means to me is that when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, he took his hands and he put them around me. And then he said, God came along and put his hands around Christ's hands. And because of that, I'm absolutely secure. There's nothing that can, can change that. I'm secure in his hands. When we're hidden with Christ, there's security. There's no fear. I don't have to doubt. I have full assurance. A.T. Robertson, which was a Greek, Greek scholar, he has a commentary of the New Testament, specifically focusing on the Greek words. He's long gone home to be the Lord by now. He said, so, he comments, so here we are in Christ, who is in God, and no burglar, not even Satan himself, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are secure in him. A group of botanists went on an expedition in a hard-to-reach location in the Alps, searching for a new variety of flower or flowers. One day, as a scientist looked through the, the binoculars, he saw a beautiful, rare species growing at the bottom of a deep ravine. To reach it, someone would have to be lowered, be lowered into that gorge. Noticing a local youngster standing nearby, that my aunt asked him if he would help them get to the flower. The boy was told that a rope would be tied around his waist, and the men would then lower him to the floor of the ravine. Excited, yet apprehensive, about the adventure, the youngster peered thoughtfully into the chasm, and he said, just wait a minute, and he dashed off. When he returned, he was accompanied by an older man. Approaching the, the head botanist, the boy said, I'll go over the cliff now and get the flower for you, but this man must hold on to the rope. He's my father. See, his security wasn't tied to what their story was. His security was tied to his father. Listen, that's, that's the security we have in Christ. It's not tied to what I know or what I've done, but what he's done in my faith and trust in him as my personal Savior. Hidden with Christ. Satisfaction, I already alluded to that. There's no penalty. We're hidden with Christ. Because God was satisfied with that sinless sacrifice. He was satisfied that it reached in, in his righteous demands. We're no longer controlled by sin or the power of sin. We are dead even though there is yet sin present. Understand this. The power of sin has been severed. The, in the, in the, the days when I was growing up, we had, still had the meat market. It wasn't in a grocery store. The meat market went to the meat market and we said we wanted a, uh, a two-pound roast. And he would get a hunk of meat out, put it on the butcher block, and he would take a meat cleaver. And without weighing it or look at it, he just would whack, and the meat would be severed. It would fall apart. And almost invariably, he was right on the mark of the, was the, the two pounds of your order. It was severed. It was, you couldn't put those two pieces back together. Well, that's, that's the point. The power of sin has been severed in our life. You can't ever put those two pieces back together. 
Now, we still have the presence of sin, but the power of sin does not hold dominion over us any longer because we're in Christ and we are hidden with him. It has been severed. Now, it still has presence. And for instance, when you get into verse 5 of the same chapter, chapter 3, he says there, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Well, the presence of sin is still here. You and I are still going to struggle with sin, but the power is, is not have that dominion that demands upon us anymore. Because why? God was satisfied with Christ's sinless substitute for you and I. So when I talk about I'm hidden with Christ, there's two things come to mind. Our security, no fear. And satisfaction, there's no penalty. The power and the penalty of sin has been severed, has been paid for in full. It's finished. Nothing to add to it. I will appear with him in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you, shall, you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we shall also appear with him in, in, in glory. I will appear with Christ. Let me just, uh, I want to back up a little bit. I'm looking at some things I wrote down, but... Um, when, let me just focus on this phrase, when Christ who is our life. That little statement, when Christ who is our life. First of all, I always think of the question, is Christ really your life? I mean, have, have you repented from your sins, put your faith and trust in Christ? And if you have, is he really your life? Do your actions match your passion? When Christ, who is our life. The second thing I think of is that, that little statement is a very concise explanation of Paul's philosophy of life. When Christ, who is our life. What he's saying is, Christ is my life. If you go back to, again, Philippians 1.21, it says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. When Christ, who is our life. Galatians chapter 2, um, verse 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. But, I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Who, who is your life? This is Paul's philosophy of life. This is why he does what he does, because Christ is his life. Who is your life? I will, hidden with Christ, I will appear with Christ. Two things I want to focus in on here, specifically shall appear with him. Uh, it's a promise. He declares a promise. And he delivers a motivation. Now the promise. Remember, remember back two weeks ago when we took communion? I read First uh, Corinthians chapter 11. We got into verse about um, 25, 26, I think it was. Every time we participate in communion, it says, you proclaim this message, Jesus is coming again. Constantly, Paul reinforces that throughout scriptures. So you don't, so, you know, repetition is the key to, to learning. So that you will not miss the message. Jesus is coming again. You can, you can, put, you can write it down. It is happening. He is coming again. He hasn't come in yet. Well, I'm assuming he hasn't come yet because I'm still here. Okay. And several of you are still here. But, but the point is, he is coming again. 
That's a promise. You can mark it down. It's going to happen. So he declares to them again, you know, uh, I will appear with Christ. Well, he is coming again. The second thing is, he delivers a motivation. Living life now with my eye towards the future. When I, when I appear with Christ, will I be ashamed? Would you be ashamed? For instance, what have you been thinking on? What have you been filling your mind with? What have you been concentrating on? What have you been looking at? What has been in your focus? One of the motivations for us to stay pure, to stay holy, this whole aspect, you know what, I'm going to have to see him face to face. I'm going to have to give account for myself. So there's that anticipation, but there's also that motivation. There's a motivation to us to stay strong, to stay true. What motivates you? Is that, does that even strike a chord with you? There was a, a teenage boy, he was playing basketball, and he lost his, lost his contact lens, and he looked and looked for it. Uh, he was playing basketball out in the driveway, and he couldn't find it. Went home and told his mom and said, Mom, I just I lost my contact lens. I've looked for it for almost 45 minutes. I just can't find it. She immediately went out, and she looked, and five minutes later, she came walking with it, walking in with it. He said, how did you find it so quickly? And she said to him, said, well, you were looking for a piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. (laughs) The, The point is, her motivation was a whole lot different than his. What motivates you? I was thinking of Numbers chapter 13 and 14, when... Israel was, had, had escaped Egypt, about two and a half years had passed. They had gone down through Mount Sinai, gotten the law. They had gone up to Kadesh Barnea. Anytime you hear Kadesh Barnea, that's a decision point. At Kadesh Barnea, they sent in 12 spies into the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that had been promised to them, or pro- actually promised to Abraham, uh, and thereby to, to them. And so they sent the 12 spies in, and Ten came back with a bad report, and two came back with a good report. That was Caleb and Joshua. And so, rather than listening to God, the people chose to disobey God, believe the poor report, and chose not to go in. Because of that, they were condemned to wander for over 38 years, a total of 40 that they were in the wilderness, wandering. And in those 40 years, or those 38 more years, everybody from 20 years old and up died. A whole generation was, was, was uh, eliminated, and, uh, except Joshua and Caleb. Even though they wanted to go in, they wanted to trust God, they, they had to endure the, that wandering in the wilderness. And the question, and a good question, what motivated them? How, if you were wandering your lifetime in a wilderness, and you saw your friends and relatives dying around you, young men, young women, and yet you kept going and you kept that in view of what God had promised. What motivated them? I think one author put it this way. How did they survive? Their minds and their hearts were in the promised land. Their minds and their hearts were in the promised land. What motivates you that your actions may match your passion. 
And one of the motivations, in fact, is, you know what? I'm going to have to see him face to face someday. I'm going to have to face him. I know I'm going home. So not only did he give them, declare to them a promise, but he, he also delivers a motivation. My actions will match my passion when I understand my relationship with Christ. I will appear with him. I am hidden with Christ. And I am risen in him. As I come to understand my relationship with Christ, that my actions will match my passions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your loving kindness. We thank you for your pleasure in obedience. We thank you for your patience and your perseverance with us. Indeed, Father, we pray that you will continue to work in our midst. And that as we come to understand in a greater way our relationship with Christ, that indeed we not only be motivated to live right and do right, but we will focus and concentrate on those things that would glorify you, that would feed our souls and our hearts and our minds. And we thank you for those things even now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.